Hi there and welcome to another podcast. My name is Todd Fraser and on this Careers in Health podcast, I've got Dr. Simone Kay joining me who's a gastroenterologist here on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Simone, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Todd. Um, where did you first develop your interest in gastroenterology? I was a junior doctor in Adelaide and I was attached to the gastroenterology firm and I really enjoyed it. I thought the camaraderie and the education was really great. They were very encouraging. I was not the most confident when it came to doing the exams and I actually didn't apply for any specialty advanced training programs and the professor came and asked me to apply and that okay so when I did get my fellowship and I had applied with a very brief letter of please let me apply um, I went to the interview and that you know it was quite good at the time gastroenterology was very competitive in that it was a high income specialty if you went into private practice and so there was a lot more applicants I think and hence I'd been a little bit dissuaded as it was a predominantly male profession as well in Adelaide at the time. What was it about gastroenterology that grabbed your attention? I very much enjoyed the clinical aspect. I think people come in with quite distressing symptoms. We're very welcome to talk about breathing difficulties or heart pain with sort of out a lot of embarrassment, whereas I think people talking about perhaps uh, gastrointestinal symptoms in particular, and perhaps not so much hepatological, can have a certain degree of discomfort some people are very uncomfortable knowing what is normal gut function then when it comes to more awkward symptoms like incontinence or urgency and the impact it can have on your quality of life can be um, quite rewarding when those can be improved and sometimes improved with very simple measures so you can have a quite significant Mm. impact on people's existence Yeah. yeah and not the same as perhaps being an oncologist and curing lymphoma but yeah i think so yeah so what um what do you do on a daily basis so you've got a practice here in on in the sunshine coast yeah what's the sort of usual daily activities so i'm in full-time private practice now having spent probably the first 20 years of my career predominantly in public i have structured my work balance such that i spend monday to friday in clinical care i predominantly do consultation every day i have eight endoscopy sessions a month so i am not the busiest endoscopist on the sunshine coast but i have all afternoon lists so i can run them as long as i need to and i do not do any direct to scope so i consult everybody and talk about their symptoms and work out what procedures we need to do and even indeed they do need procedures so there's no Um, high turnover in that regard it's much more directed and perhaps personalized and I quite enjoy that I by nature of that direct I suppose attract a certain type of patient who is very interested wants to discuss their symptoms usually isn't worried that they have cancer so they're not sort of want to just be in out and have Mm. a scope they want to solve some symptom problems that they have and so you're working together to get there So I will see probably about 40-plus patients a week for consultation, and then I'll have my scopes on top of that. And um, I tend to keep Friday reasonably free from non-urgent patients, and that way I can see my urgent ones who are sort of something's going not quite right, and I get all my admin done. So it allows me to, you know call people check how things are going and I've used that a lot even prior to telehealth so although they weren't remunerated sometimes just a five minute phone call to someone 
averted a hospital admission, for example. So I just find it, as a solo operator, I need to keep control. And if you let things roll on, it can become like an avalanche. Is it the sort of specialty where you develop long-term relationships with your patients? It is. And um, I have some patients who, since I've been in private practice, I've been seeing them on a regular basis for the five years. Some patients, particularly with inflammatory bowel disease and when people have quite advanced liver disease, you might need to see them very regularly. And um, on occasions, you may see them monthly or even more often than that until things stabilise and you can start extending the duration between intervals. Often I find, and this is quite charming in Noosa, is that you'll take care of someone and then you'll start taking care of their partner and then you'll see a child or their parents. So sometimes you can have three or four people from the same family and, and that's quite flattering, but also it's it's enjoyable because you sort of feel like you're taking care of more than just an individual. Yep. What are the sorts of conditions that you would usually see? So I am very much general gastroenterology and general hepatology. So I do have a lot of IBD patients and I really enjoy IBD medicine. I'm happy with giving high-level care with biologics and, and, and using them and optimising them in ways that maybe mean we have to think outside in, uh, PBS. I have a reasonably large cohort of liver disease, uh, both sort of mild sort of fatty liver is the most common, but extending all the way up to cirrhosis. I do not manage the liver cancers. I send them to specialists. I don't have the volume to be able to offer that level of care. And in the private sector, it can sometimes be unaffordable anyway. And um, certainly, you know, we can work and take care of people all the way up to their liver transplant. That's quite nice, you know, to see them. And then you don't need it. They don't need you anymore. Yeah. Um, or not very much. Um, we also have, but the bulk of my patients would be probably functional bowel symptoms. So that includes you know, everything from acid reflux, see a lot of laryngeal reflux with that, a lot of gastric uh, symptoms and lots of irritable bowel syndrome, which is a spectrum. So some are quite mild and maybe don't make full criteria all the way through. But one of my fears when I went full-time private was I wouldn't see anything interesting anymore. And that's not true. You still see interesting pathology you still get patients with sarcoid you get intersusceptions you get funny gallbladder pathology you know i've got a lot of pancreatic exocrine insufficiency you see lots of colitics and unusual phenomena eosinophilic esophagitis other you know interesting cases so it's not all it's a very just, wide variety it's not all just you know yeah. ibs and and you know yeah. I was, going to, I was going to ask you, you mentioned you're now full-time private. What mm-hmm. is the difference that you've experienced between the two systems? When I first, one of, coming back to one of the reasons I quite like the idea of gastro, um, was that I remember very early on meeting um, a group of gastroenterologists who are all women from the East Coast, because there was none in Adelaide at the time. And they said, oh, Simone, it's wonderful. It's all outpatient care. So you do outpatient procedures, you do, well, you know, day-per-case procedures, you do outpatient care, you see people with continuity. When they're inpatient, when they're sick, they either get better quickly or they go to a surgeon. And, I mean, this is pre-biologics, I suppose, with a lot of the Crohn's patients as well. But um, And so I thought, oh, it's a good lifestyle, (laughs) you know. Um, Whereas that changed a fair bit. I worked for 10 years in the UK, in the NHS, and my experience there was that it was very busy. We'd have 40 patient load and we'd need to you need to cancel your outpatient commitment to manage that number of patients wow. often you'd be on call a lot for GI bleeds I've done GI bleed weekends where you've done 20 scopes yep. over a weekend which is not onerous but it's 
a fair volume. Yep. So it's I think it's changed that it is a lot more inpatient. I think that historically a lot of abdominal pain, diarrhea, um, maybe even a lot of liver disease used to go to general medicine. But I think general medicine's almost dissipated a little bit. It's mm. not it's still around in certain institutions. We're incredibly lucky in Noosa that we have the general medicine team, but in some places it tends to get yep. sent to subspecialties much more quickly and so they are bigger firms, busier firms. There's less um, time maybe to commit to them when you're trying to balance that still heavy outload, yep. outpatient load and, and procedures yep. as well. It sounds like from what you described that there's a nice balance between um, consultation work and procedural work. Is that the case? For me there is because yep. I enjoy doing procedures and I try to do them you know, very well but I'm at the point I suppose where I've been doing them long enough that if I'm not doing them every day I don't feel I'm de-skilled. Yeah. You know, whereas perhaps if I had only been just coming out of my fellowship and I went straight into full-time private practice, probably need to do quite a number of thousands of, you know, yeah. difficult procedures to feel like you're really on top of your game. Yeah. Um, when you get out of bed in the morning and you're about to go to work, what are the things that you look forward to about your working day? I enjoy that I've chosen to work in a practice that's not just me, my practice manager and my receptionist. So mm. when I come in, there's you know 10 or 12 other people in, in the office, even mm. though we're complementary and we're not working together, we're individuals. So it's, it's nice to have contact. I think um, during COVID that was shown really well when we we're all working at separate locations, but in constant communication that it was just yeah. more pleasant working face-to-face for us and it was more pleasant for the patients as well. I actually find that I really enjoy seeing my patients. They're, I actually really think I'm very lucky. Mm. We always are saying, we've got such nice people to see. Yep. And maybe that's because they're valuing their care, that they they want to be seen, they want to work together, and they want to try and make things better. And that makes it an easier thing to do when you're both trying to establish yep. that uh, plan rather than trying to... Perhaps in the public system, occasionally people are there because they're really unwell and the advice you're giving maybe isn't something that they're choosing to yep. hear. Or yep. Yep. It, it's interesting. You mentioned that there are a number of people in your work environment. We don't practice in isolation. Who do you have relationships with in the health system on a sort of a daily basis? Yeah, so on a daily basis and it can change but if probably if we looked at a weekly basis I use um, other physicians yep. so I because I'm not full-time based in a hospital and my rooms are separate from the hospital I often liaise a lot with the general physicians and I can use them quite a bit when I've got someone who I actually think does benefit from a general physician for example to help with managing the cardiac um, neurological and their diabetes type management and it's yep. often renal impairment that doesn't require a nephrologist or those sorts of things and certainly with inpatient care I'll often try and do shared care with them just to make sure that as a gastroenterologist I'm not trying to overstep my reach I'm not an expert at those areas I have some general surgeons that I refer to a lot and use and I have a selection of who I'll use so if I have uh, incontinence fetal incontinence there's some colorectal surgeons that I will use in preference if it is upper GI then there's plenty of good surgeons locally. If it's bariatric, I have good rapport with several bariatric surgeons. So there's depends on what we need to do. Yep. Similarly, within 
gastroenterology, although there's no one else located where I am, I have great connections with, you know, getting outpatient investigations, so capsule endoscopies, which yeah. I don't perform, esophageal uh, manometry and pH studies, and I can liaise with my colleagues for those. I use Allied Health a lot. I have um, fostered good relationships with half a dozen very capable dietitians who are very gut-focused and have upskilled where they needed to or wanted to. So that means I've got... I can sort of cover any area, whether people in Gympie or down in Maroochydore. I've got some very excellent pelvic floor physiotherapists who I think are grossly under-referred to. Um, And also exercise physiology, which I think is really important with some of the more advanced liver disease patients. And um, psychologists and psychiatrists as well, because I can help with a lot of liver disease, but I'm not able to offer the same degree of care, uh, particularly with addiction medicine. I don't have those skills. Yeah. Mm. What are the things that irritate you about your specialty now that you've been in it for a while? Are there things that grate or frustrate you? There's not a lot that frustrates me now. I did find at times the politics in big, bigger hospitals could be frustrating. Mm. But then there are other things that are excellent in, you know, the, the bigger hospitals in that they have really well resourced. You have often, you know, brand new equipment as soon as it's available, whereas often we're negotiating to get increased or uh, improved equipment because yep. it's obviously a business in the private industry. Um, I think the things that irritated me in terms of having access and getting time with family when I was working in that other environment are now up to me to decide and I think they've improved a lot. So I'm not particularly irritated with anything specifically except, and these are changing, I think historically a lot of the colleges are represented by academics. So, you know, there'll always be a professor or someone with quite a... They might do some private work but they'll be predominantly public and they'll have that agenda. And it's only relatively recently that private practice is being recognised. And I think people undervalue how much work is actually done in private practice. A lot of the patients who go to private practice are not insured. They don't need to be to be seen as an outpatient. Um, So I think the volume of work, and probably within gastroenterology, the volume of endoscopy done in private, whether they're insured or not insured, is enormous. And I don't think we're always represented in the strategic planning but I do think that's changing, and I think there sort of is more of a push that you don't have to have a PhD or to have a academic presence to have value and to have an opinion on how perhaps the health service could be better serving the public. What's involved in becoming a gastroenterologist in Australia and New Zealand? Okay, so you do your internship yep. and then you go into general medicine uh, basic training which is usually three years but can be longer depends on whether you you know which rotations you've done and you need to then do your primary and then the clinical examination and they've changed a little bit but essentially you can sit them once a year now that used to be the big deal when I did my exam is that if you didn't someone didn't get it I'd had to wait a whole 12 months to do it again and that's such a long time where some other specialties exams come up far more frequently yeah. so the pressure feels le- like a whole year is a lot mm. yeah um then you apply for advanced training and it is a three-year advanced training program uh of which you've got two core years and one can be clinical or some people will choose to start a phd or do other things 
I would recommend completing your fellowship in Australia before you go and try and do anything overseas, etc., yep. so that you've got it. And if you go to do some exploring and it's not what you thought, you have that qualification. You can come back. You may not work in your dream location, <laughs> but you you can get a, you can get a consultant post. Yep. Um, that would be rather than trying to negotiate, maybe just spending a year in Europe or a year in in America or something like yep. that. Um, there is no exit exams at the moment, but I'm sure that may change over time. Yeah. And then we have CPD that's ongoing, yeah. and that's changed a lot. We do it through the Royal College of Physicians, so they've changed a bit. It's a lot more focused on audit and less on being able to count your journals and things <laughs> like that, I'll say. And that's probably a good thing, trying yeah. to make it more balanced. Um, certainly, if you go to a conference, you can get plenty of CPD. And um, that's one thing I noticed, say, last year, even though you watch a lot of webinars, because that's all we had access to, yeah. you know, CPD was it, it was quite unbalanced. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm. So once you become a gastroenterologist, mm-hmm. um, like many specialties, I'm sure there are avenues that you can go down with uh, fellowships in certain mm-hmm. areas or special subspecialty mm. interests. Mm. What's available to gastroenterologists? I think there's quite a wide variety. So um, I initially did hepatology mm-hmm. as my specialty and then decided I didn't want to do that as a full-time and transitioned over as a consultant more than five years out into doing back into more general med- medicine and I was lucky that the institution I was working at I did a lot of IBD biologics and so although I don't have a PhD or any extra training in those I feel like I've had reasonable volume of clinical experience and I've worked in a team where we've gone through that you know decision making process that multidisciplinary teams and do so I think you don't have to be alarmed if you commit to something and it's not for you you can transition laterally but I think it is harder to upskill sometimes so for example for me now to perhaps want to do um, capsule endoscopy you have to be supervised and things like that or to learn how to do endoscopic ultrasound. There are programs and ways you can do it, but outside of the public system, it's probably difficult because how do you allocate a colleague's time to train you mm. and how do you, you know, it's their time lost, it's your time lost. To do, it's kind of hard to do because yep. you're not on a salary where yep. you can justify their time because they're being paid anyway does that make sense so I think it can be difficult to upskill people do do it but you have to be really quite committed and perhaps accept that it's not a financial financially wise or not wise but you know it's not going to be easy to achieve yeah yeah Yeah, you might need to do a sabbatical or something to get it um, but, yes, yeah, so there's hepatology, IBD, there's upper GI and functional. So people, some people just do, dis, you know, dysmotility of the esophagus. There's um, small bowel disease, so people who do enteroscopy and, and video capsule endoscopy. There's nutrition, which I think is underrepresented in Australia. Um, there's some really great overseas, you know, programs you can do. But um, nutrition, I think, um, there's no big subsection in Australia. There is internationally. Uh, there's paediatric gastroenterology, but clearly they go through paediatric training. Yeah. Uh, hepatology, then you've got bowel cancer, bowel cancer screening, I- IBD again, which you know covers the clinic end. Yeah. I think a lot of um, anorectal stuff is still overlaps with the colorectal surgeons as they do a lot of that with surgical repair and also you know when it comes to inserting pacemakers and things like that. So. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the microbiome, which we overlap with the microbiologists and is huge 
mm. sort of area of interest. Finally, um, what sort of person do you think suits gastroenterology as a specialty? Oh, I think it'll take all sorts because like any specialty, some people are going to be much better at patient education and really good health communicators and they're probably going to be the people who will spend time in clinical care. There'll be others who are more academically driven and, you know, without them, how would we know about all the wondrous new developments? I think you'll find there's always a niche for everybody and it's just about how you wish to work. Some people, you know... I went to their jobs and they'll be at work 12 hours a day even if they could do it in eight, you know. So I think I think it doesn't need to be directed by your personality style and you don't have to be a people person or you don't have to be um, the most academically able. It's plumbing, gastroenterology, really plumbing. So if you think about, you know, it in steps, I think it can be easily broken down. Um, I do think that... There is um, an increasing volume of females going into gastroenterology. I think it's a great thing. I think it's going to create a lot more acceptance of part-time employment, um, and that's probably a good thing because I think it is amenable to that, as long as you get your training in. Simone Kay, thanks for joining us on the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. For more great interviews just like this, please visit our website at oslocommunity.com.